What's going on, boys and girls? We have a terrific episode of Two White Lights for you today. I have the debut episode of our new co-host, Steve DeNovi, a PR's performance on Two White Lights. You guys heard him on the interview we did for Midwest Primetime and our football comparisons, which got a lot of great feedback. And I am extremely excited to work with a guy who is extremely passionate, extremely knowledgeable about the sport of powerlifting, especially in the USAPL and IPF. I know that's going to make all of our listeners happy, and we have a lot of great content to give you guys. So I'm just excited to have this dynamic duo involved in Two White Lights, and today's episode was a great one because we talked about the announcement of Raw Nationals, and we dove a little bit into Collegiate and Junior Nationals. Just our opinions on it, what they're going to look like, some speculation on how the meets are going to be ran, Um, some information that we could relay to you guys and yeah, everything will develop as we go as far as announcements and we'll probably bring you more announcements as they come. But this is just our initial reactions to raw nationals and collegiate slash junior nationals as well. And we talked about two white lights discussion or topic of the week. Should extreme arches be banned in powerlifting? Really good conversation there. We got into a lot of the comments that were on the two white lights page what you guys said, and our uh, takes on it. And a lot of hot takes were given in that discussion as well. And we finished the show talking about the Circle City Super that happened in the City Barbell, just my take on that meet. But before we get into that, got to talk to you guys about a very special brand, very close to my heart, Leflar Bros. Ladies and gentlemen, Leflar Bros is for the lifter. They try to incorporate themselves and promote and uplift the powerlifting community help the fellow lifter. That is what Leflar Bros is about. And they deliver amazing graphics, amazing merchandise. I love every single one of Leflar Bros merchandise, t-shirts, hoodies, anything they make. I wear them and you can wear them too. If you use that promo code 2WL15, you get 15% off of your order. And if you are a true fan of two white lights, you're going to get yourself a t-shirt that's right, two White Lights t-shirts are going to be on Leflar Bros. We have the original logo, the NWO-looking logo, and we got the Fight Night logo as well, an alternate logo. And if you guys know me, you guys know I love my alternate logos, and I love different designs for tees. So be on the lookout for more different designs, alternate logos of two White Lights. The first one we have is going to be that Fight Night one. So you can get all of that now exclusively on LeflarBros.com. So if you're looking for two white light shirts, you're not going to twowhitelights.com. You're going to Left Floor Bros. And while you're there, get yourself some merchandise. They just dropped their, uh, I'm going to call them the Wang hoodies now. You guys got to check out the Greek architecture and the artwork on that one. But he likes to call them the Wang hoodies and the female peck hoodies. And those are my favorite designs so far of Left Floor Bros. So be sure to cop those as well. Use that promo code 2WL10. Also, go to Rivalist.net, use promo code ANGELO15 to get 15% off of your informed choice supplements. The little green check mark is important for all you drug tested lifters. Don't want to pop a drug test, getting some tainted pre-workout. Informed choice supplements can be very important for you, the USAPL and IPF lifter. And if you're a USPA drug tested lifter as well, use that promo code ANGELO15 to get some informed choice subs. Also, go to Lift.net. I only use Stoic Gear on the platform, and I only use it in the gym as well. And use that promo code ANGELO10, you get 10% off of all Stoic Gear. They just dropped their white label, they have their black label, they have their original logo, and they also have the olive drab. 
you can get all of that discounted if you use that promo code Angelo10. I personally love the white label. It's my thing. The white and black label right now are my two are, are the two that I wear most consistently. I might actually combine them one meet. Who knows? Wear a little black label, wear a little white label. Use that promo code Angelo10, get 10% off of your order. Also, Check out Notorious Lift. Be sure to follow Notorious Lift. And they just released a newsletter as well on when their drops are coming. No slip grip is a thing. Also, they have so many different designs and they're dropping more designs. They keep coming with the designs. And I'm telling you right now, if you have a style, Notorious Lift is going to make a slipper that's going to fit your style. It's going to fit your color. It's going to make you match on the platform and if you look good, you feel good. And if you feel good, you lift good. And Notorious Lift is going to help you that. And they're, of course, going to help you not slip on the platform as well. So just get on that newsletter. It's going to be on Notorious Lift, the Instagram page. And be sure you're looking out because those drops, if you have a design that you want and they sell out, I don't tell you, you got to get on those drops really quick. And also subscribe on Spotify. Make sure to leave a five-star rating on iTunes and leave a review as well. Tell me how much you love Two White Lights because I, I need the ego boost sometimes, people. So also subscribe on iTunes as well. And without further ado, here it is, Two White Lights. It is Thursday, January 14th, and Two White Lights has a new co-host. You saw the announcements on the Two White Lights page, you saw the announcements on my page, and of course you saw the announcements on Steve DeNovi, PRs and Performance page. I am very happy that you are now the co-host of Two White Lights, man. I'm excited, man. I was not expecting that, but I was very happily surprised when you asked me. I mean, I think we share the same passion for the sport. I think there's people who enjoy competing in the sport, but there's a difference between competing and truly being passionate about the sport as a whole, seeing it grow, watching the meets, seeing the lifters, knowing the lifters, all that kind of stuff. And even if I wasn't a coach, and I'd still follow all of it. I just, I just love the sport and love being as involved as I can in it, so... Appreciate this opportunity to, to banter with you, discuss some hot takes, and, and have some fun. Absolutely, and it's a very popular choice. I've been getting a lot of DMs that they, they're they're in favor of Steve being on Two White Lights. And I knew it was going to be a dynamic duo, a match made in heaven, because we banter very well, we converse very well, and we want the same thing in the sport. And that's to be legitimate. And we're both Italian. And we're both Italian. You know, we do have our differences, you know, the Cardinals and the Cubs thing, but I could overlook that uh, for the time being. That might, during baseball season, it might get a little contentious. But we do have some breaking news. The opener of the show, I announced it on Two White Lights. You guys have probably all seen the newsletter. Raw Nationals has been announced, and not the first time it's been announced. Um, we'll get back to that. We'll trace it back. But it is an official announcement that Raw Nationals is going to be taking place in Daytona Beach, Florida, June, June 14th through the 19th. And that means collegiate slash junior, na- junior nationals will be taking place April 8th through 11th in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Now, Raw Nationals was announced in 2020. 
and almost everyone knew it wasn't going to happen within the time frame because it was announced like April or it was like March or April and they were scheduling for October and people don't remember the rules and the things they were thinking about when they were scheduling that and obviously they canceled it because there was no way there was going to be a safe way for us to have nationals and that's why Midwest primetime existed it was because nationals was canceled so you brought up Midwest primetime but it seems this time that there is hope that this meet is going to happen and people forgot about the announcement initially because if people read the fine print of the announcement, there are some things that um, that are going to be important for a lot of lifters and coaches. And the one that stuck out to me is that cap. They are capping raw nationals at a certain amount of lifters. They haven't gave us like any sort of information on when that announcement is going to be, when the signup is going to be, what the qualifying totals are set. But it's going to be a two-platform meet, and they're combining open and raw lifters. So masters, bench only, single ply will compete within their own days along with the raw on their own separate days as well. And the separation between that and combining junior and collegiate nationals is a whole lot of new things that I think a lot of lifters have deferring opinions on. So Steve, let me ask you, what's your take on the announcement of raw nationals? Um, so timing is Okay. Let me back up for one second. Hot take. If I had my way, we would do raw nationals in October and just screw worlds this year. Yeah. I think that's something you talked about on the podcast before. I yeah. mean, I think the U S in general, we could just skip worlds and we'd be more competitive mm-hmm. in the, in the grand scheme of things. I think, honestly, I would have preferred that. Um, but in the sense of June, it makes a lot of sense. We're going to be able to field world teams because worlds is going to be the end of September or things like September 28th, and October 3rd. It's going to be able to fuel, uh, field the Arnold roster. Arnold's now supposedly set for September. So it works really well within that. And I get that. Um, and kind of going with the cap, I did a little, I kind of, it says this event will be capped to stay within COVID-19 guidelines last year with nationals. And one of the big reasons why it was never going to happen, not only because of the pandemic, but I don't believe they were following truly their COVID guidelines. Like the COVID guidelines coming from a meat director is you at maximum in one session per platform, you can have 28 lifters in two flights. Yeah. That's the COVID guidelines. So my assumption based off of that statement and that there's a cap is if there's going to be two platforms, mm-hmm. A session can have a total of 56 lifters. Yeah. So from that, I am gathering, this is just my guess, that if they do a session entails a weight class, the cap is going to be 56 lifters, plus possibly, because they said there's there's possibly two sessions and maybe three. I assume the three means primetime sessions. Mm-hmm. My assumption will be 56 capped plus the possible primetime slots. Yeah. That, that's my guess right now. Yeah, when they made the initial announcement back in 2020 it wasn't with any COVID guidelines because I think this entire nation didn't know what the COVID guidelines were yeah it was without it was without thinking that without COVID restrictions at all so now they're going to have that those restrictions in place where they can cap it and I am interested to see how it's going to be divided because if it's capped then you just specified the amount of lifters that can happen. Now, the, their idea was because so many people were not able to qualify, they were going to open up. Um, there was no qualifying totals for Raw Nationals, but if you did put in a qualifying total within the time frame of like January to March, which a lot of people did, 
you had the first bid on to register. So opening will be registered to you early. So you would get that slot and then they would open up at a certain time to the rest of the lifters who didn't get a chance, who have a USAPL meet at any time um, of their lives. They could have just done one USAPL meet, signed up for Raw Nationals, and if you got in on time, because the the, the worry for me with that situation was people were going to sign up on time. It happened to me before the Arnold. I don't know if it's going to be one of those you have to get on your computer super quick, registered, just so you have a spot. Um, and I think with a cap, it has to be like that um, in order to fit the certain amount of lifters that are taking place. So I agree with you with the timeline. I would like to see it done in October. Well, here's selfishly, I would love to see it always in June. If we can set this up now June permanently, USAPL Raw Nationals always in June, I am all for that. I am very happy that in June, just for my own selfish reasons, because I think Nationals should always be in the summer where people have time, they want to go on vacation somewhere, they want to spend three to four days at a secluded place without any sort of restrictions from their jobs. And for me, as working in education, it's hard for me to compete. It was going to be hard for me to compete in October if it was in a different state. So that's that. I am, for my own selfish reasons, very happy it's in June. And I'm hoping it stays that way. I hope this completely alters the IPF slash USAPL calendar where Raw Nationals is always going to be in June. And from your point, I wouldn't care if they skipped Worlds altogether. And I think most of the lifters in the USAPL, very, very few, would would care if Worlds happened this year for two reasons. One, not a lot of people are interested in competing in it, especially if it's being in Belarus. A lot of people have expressed dis- disinterest in going to Belarus. And two, international travel during this time. I don't know if that's the best idea and if people are hesitant to traveling to Florida, I don't know if an international flight to Belarus is going to make them that much more safe and calm with all the uh, travel restrictions and the... Yeah, and and with that, I think it's very likely raw nationals happens. They're following COVID guidelines, the things we just stated with the cap and everything. That sounds like that's a very doable thing. The world seems still iffy. Like, how are we going to get all these mm-hmm. countries flying in? That still seems a very big iffy thing. That's I think that's going to kind of be depend. I mean, I, I assume they chose that timeline based off a of possible vaccination um, kind of uh, outreach and when eventually, I mean, the general population of powerlifters is 20 to 40 years old when that kind of population is going to be able to have the possibility of a vaccine. But I don't know. That, that, that seems still a little bit of a reach. So, mm-hmm. um, honestly, as you're talking, I was kind of doing, again, this is something that's just going to be interesting, how they're going to do it. I was doing kind of the math in my head because you don't just have raw nationals. We have open raw, masters raw, equipped youth raw and equipped bench nationals. And they mm-hmm. said in there, they're not mixing like masters is yeah. going to be in a separate session. Open's going to be in a separate session. I believe equipped. They're doing that. There may only be 28 spots per weight class because mm-hmm. it's five days. That would be somewhere between 10 to 15 sessions to break that up in. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, it, it, I, I wonder how they're going to do that. If it's going to be like the Arnold with first come, first serve. But also at the Arnold, they do one thing that I don't think everyone realizes. There is invites because they kind of want to make sure those top people come and get mm-hmm. their spots and don't get booted out by people who qualify with a lower qualifying total. So I wonder if they're going to do invites first, maybe like fill primetime spots, make sure those are filled. Because that, I mean, Nationals, that's kind of the big point. Let's find who the winner is. Fill those primetime spots with invites and then open up that 28 to 56 limit with open invites and 
see who can autofill their uh, registration the fastest. Yeah, for sure. And I, I was, I'm actually on board for that. That is like pushing through another one of my ideas was just to invite 20, the top 25 lifters to nationals in general, mm-hmm. like in each weight class. I've always been a proponent of just inviting either base it on rankings and really limit the size of nationals and have a prime time session just to make nationals a little bit more legitimate in a national competition. They did it with raising the qualifying totals, but I still think there could be more, there could be more requirements that the USAPL can push along is to get those out there. So I'm assuming that's how they're going to do it too. Um, it's, it's speculatory. I don't know exactly how they're going to uh, get lifters out there, but I got to ask you this. How about, collegiate getting combined with junior nationals like what's your take on that because personally i'm okay with raw nationals how it is i i understand why they did it in june um and from my understanding the arnold's going to be in september so you have this calendar set out but the one that i was questioning was the combination of junior and collegiate nationals again if you do this you can go with another one of my proposed rule changes make junior lifters just 18 through 22 and none of this teen one teen two just make junior lifters 18 through 22 as soon as you graduate high school you're a junior but combining it now is going to cause a headache for a lot of people yep i think that was interesting i think a lot of people got oh i saw nationals they got all excited and then the juniors like wait we're not in nationals so i get it i think it goes back to so i'm with you in this we like talk about this in the midwest prime time uh, podcast about like making nationals even more about elite and hyping up regionals instead for kind of like that second tier. Um, I mean, one of the biggest goals of nationals this year is to make sure we can fulfill world's team members. Yeah. Um, the fact of the matter is, is the juniors who are going to get world team spots are probably also in prime time mm-hmm. in the open class. So if you're looking at the grand scheme, the grand picture of making sure the most elite people are at at prime time and raw nationals and making sure we fill the world spots, they're going to be there. I, I think where juniors are probably upset is that they don't get to be able to be in the same meet. But the fact of the matter is, is that that's not really the goal of having open nationals um, where juniors, the bulk of them that are like more in that tier, that's not going to really be competing to be winning nationals they were going to be doing collegiates anyways. Yeah. So I get in the sense of lumping that together because they were already going to do collegiates because most of those juniors are on collegiate teams. And then the ones who are truly, truly competitive, they were already going to be doing open nationals because they were going to be in prime time in the first place. Hopefully that made sense. I was trying to piece that together, but that's kind of where I got. I, it didn't make sense at first when I saw it announced, but as I kind of thought about it, I was like, yeah, I, I kind of get where they're going with that. Yeah, and but for junior lifters and even team lifters, they can just register for the open correct, and just do Raw Nationals yeah. instead, which a lot of them are going to do that. Like Jesus Oliveras, Austin Perkins, they want to win Open. So they're going to sign up as Open. They're going to be at Raw Nationals. I think people were one confused, like, if you're junior, you have to do this meet. Like, no, you can still do Open. I I did see a comment on Two White Lights page uh, in disagreement with the announcement because there's like you're isolating the amount of Raw and teen, teenage lifters who can compete at Open. It's like, well, in fairness... Raw Nationals isn't about you. Raw Nationals mm-hmm. is about the best open lifter. If you're just a teen and junior who wants to compete and know you're not going to win, might as well just do junior and teen nationals because it's a good way to separate the men from the boys, if you will. 
Like, let's make nationals this meet where we're focusing on the open lifters or the people who have the very best totals, and let's make collegiate nationals or junior nationals the something that's spotlighting collegiate type lifters or the younger lifters. Like, I'm I'm totally okay with that. Yeah, there's only 28 to 56 spots mm-hmm. per weight class. Like they, they can't combine juniors and open. There's two. I mean, it's like if you go 93 kilo, there might be a hundred open lifters and 70 junior lifters. Like mm-hmm. that, that would be four sessions of raw nationals. Yeah. So that was the best way to break it up where they were trying to get things combined. So I get it. Um, people are going to be annoyed, but like we all have to understand like, this is the best, this is the only way we can get this done in the first place. Like we mm-hmm. can either just not have nationals at all, or we can have this kind of setup to allow it in some manner. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what happens. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm part of me because of how fucking 2020 went, there's going to be a pessimistic side on just any big meets or any sort of big events actually happening. Um, I do think if they follow COVID restrictions, you can in fact have it, but I will not be convinced until I'm on the flight to Florida and probably putting on my singlet that it's going to happen. Like that's, that's the, uh, that's how I'm going to look at it for the next couple months. It is exciting to see people find their, just find something to be enthusiastic about because there wasn't a whole lot of that in powerlifting. And I think we have it now, but I'm also to see some of the announcements and type of restrictions that are going to happen. Like one of the great things about nationals is spectating the meet and, are we going to be allowed to spectate? I don't know about that. Like, are we going to be, is there going to be a massive crowd for prime time? Probably not, which I, I speak a lot about on two white lights in previous episodes. The crowd for prime time is awesome. It's something that is unique to USAPL raw nationals. It's unique to the sport. I don't think any other federation or big type of meat has that sort of atmosphere. And if that's taken away, of course, it's for safety, but it's going to be a different Raw Nationals, really, no matter how really no matter how you look at it. It will be different, but I'm going to go back to the Arnold, because we both got to experience the last big meet at the Arnold. Yeah. And there was less spectators. Let's call it the same thing, because there was definitely way less spectators, even though there was some. Mm-hmm. It was still cool. Was yeah. it the same? No. But just because of the, the big screen TVs behind you, Gino going crazy, the music bumping, all the other most elite powerlifters around you... It still was different. Yeah. It's still, it's like, even though the Midwest prime time was cool, it wasn't the Arnold and it wasn't Nationals, mm-hmm. even if Nationals and the Arnold has spectators. So, again, it's kind of like the, like, it's the best we can do. And it's still going to be better than, like, if we just all compete at local meets and disperse and don't compete against each other. So, yeah. As well as the fact that there's not, my wife, she'll, she'll be coming with, she said, worst case, there's no spectators. She's going to sit on the beach all day since the venue's right on the beach. So, she wasn't even that unhappy if she can't watch. She's probably actually happier if she's not allowed to watch. So, that's, that's a very good point. Yeah. But, I mean, even with the Arnold, there were still spectators to a sense, right? Because COVID restrictions weren't like there. So, there was, Enough of a crowd now. I'm just curious if they just allow any of us to to spectate and watch the meet, like in a in a sort in the like a ballroom gathering. Because Arnold was, I mean, my girlfriend who's you know sitting right next to me, uh, he just used my lanyard to go and spectate, and every, and like there were a bunch of kids. I'm assuming um, scout team football players from Ohio State were working the security booth at uh, at the Arnold because they just looked at her lanyards like, oh yeah, you're good. And the lanyard said Angela Fortino, athlete, and she was dressed, you know, not like an athlete, dressed as a very attractive girl. Uh, Arnold's is a little bit different. Um, So Nationals, I'm just wondering if they even allowed the athletes to spectate. Um, 
and just just the whole scenario with with that is is going to be I mean I'm just out of curiosity but at the same time if you have nationals I think most people will be happy with that yeah I'm gonna throw out just guesses this is just guesses from a meet director legit the, the, the event uh, venue has to be decently big because it was the same one I believe we were going to use last year when yeah. nothing was happening. So it's got space to then space things out. I'm going to guess that they are going to give tickets to the lifters. Let's say two for each lifter. Yeah. Uh, mainly because they want to satisfy family members being able to be there or a spouse or whatever versus just some random coming in and watching. So let's say that happens. You're going to have those and then you're probably going to have the random lifters sticking around. That's going to be hard to please. You can't just like all the lifters who were already there yeah. didn't want to watch prime time. It's pretty hard to kick them out, which is exactly what happened at the Arnold. The Arnold was basically like your girlfriend or someone else kind of just sneaking in. And then it was all the lifters sticking around and watching. And it was enough because we, I mean, it was kind of like the Midwest prime time. We didn't have spectators, but you got all the lifters there hyping yeah. each other up. It was still fun. So that that's my hope there. I think that can still work and still get in a decent atmosphere there. Um, as well as, I mean, obviously it's, it's, there's going to be an element too, since, all these lifters have not competed against each other in almost two years. There's going to be a lot of height. I almost would say maybe more height coming yeah. into this meet, some of the battles, because it's, it's kind of these secret gains that we haven't seen on the platform in two years. And how's it going to play out in a bunch of like big ifs? Like, are we going to see these numbers that we've been seeing in the gym that are way higher than what they did two years ago playing out on the platform? So mm-hmm. I, I think the height would still be there. Oh yeah, for sure. You're getting a lot. And then whenever you withhold something from someone like a big meet, and as soon as it returns, it's always going to be better. Like that's that, you know, you, you start to value raw nationals more because you went a whole year without it, or you start to value competitions more because you went a whole year without it. So, um, yeah, the hype is going to be there. And I wonder if they're going to continue with the, uh, setting national records at local meets because raw nationals is happening in the Arnold. Until, I might be having this wrong. I want to say it's until May. Until May. Yeah. It, well then, and I mean, Hold on, but if Raw Nationals is a go, why even have it till May? Yeah, I'm like, not that doesn't sure. make sense. Maybe that's a. I mean, maybe it's a. What if Raw Nationals doesn't happen? We don't want to completely cut it off, so let's have it until May. Knowing come June, if Raw Nationals happens, then that's done, and we're going back to American records at Raw Nationals. So yep. yeah, I think I saw. I think it was in the email they sent out or something. I don't. I don't think it was on the the website here um, for the release. I think it was in the, the email for like the update for January. Is that? Uh, American records can be set until May, but my my guess is there. No one setting American records is going to be planning to compete in May. They're all now holding off. I, I even have a lifter who had signed up for a meet in April. We just had her drop out because, okay, we got to reframe everything. We're going to June now. So, yep. Yep. So, interesting developments going to happen there. We'll, uh, if anything big happens, we'll definitely talk on two white lights. Now, on to the two white lights discussion, the topic of the week. That was bought on by you because Joey Flex worked a bunch of people up into a frenzy, I think, with his uh, his story post and his subsequent YouTube video. So the topic, should extreme arching be banned in powerlifting or should there be a rule change regarding extreme arching? And let me hear your take on this first. Uh, what What's your opinions on the whole big extreme arch thing and do you think there should be any rule changes for the IPF or USAPL or in powerlifting in general, all across all federations. So I'll try and keep this first point brief, mainly because I've got a whole list of things I could go through that I've already noted. Big old no, it should not be banned. Um, And that really comes back to sport in general, every sport, sport in general. There's two main characteristics of what 
really happens at the highest levels is one, people are predispositioned based off the genetics and their body type to mm-hmm. be good at certain sports. Um, there's a reason someone plays soccer versus the reason someone plays basketball. They're mm-hmm. different. The second thing within that, so now you have these genetic predispositions of leverages and body type and athleticism and what you're and all that kind of stuff that predisposes you to being an elite level in a sport. You then play that sport, and within the standards of rules, most of the best players, I don't want to say find loopholes, but they find the best way to gain advantage within the rules. Mm-hmm. That's that's sport in general. Every yeah. single sport ever has those two components. And if you're looking at the arch and the bench press, it's exactly those two components. It is like, this is kind of jumping ahead in some of my notes, but if you think you're going to get Sean Noriega's arch from like some like magical, like flexibility or mobility thing, Mm -hmm. you aren't, unless your parents are Russian gymnasts, like you're not going to be able to arch like that. You hit their spine is already predisposed to being able to be in that position. So that is a genetic makeup that predisposes them to having some type of ability to get into that position, which is how they can be able to then bend the rules of a sport to be advantageous to them, Mm -hmm. which is arching. And the same thing goes, I mean, for any of the squat, bench, and deadlift, every single one of them has the ways that people are somehow manipulating their body, the rules, their genetic makeup, their leverages to gain an advantage. And to somehow punish people for a high arch, I just, I, I'm not with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with you for the same reasons. And I'm on the same boat with you. Absolutely not. They should not make a rule. Um, it was proposed once. They did, IPF did have a proposed rule change to your back has to be as flat as possible, which we would go into some of the proposed rule changes that other lifters had commented. But that one to me was really stupid because I don't think anyone should bench with a complete flat back. Like, in any sense, it's just not a good way to bench press. There should be at least a little bit of an arc to stabilize your body. But I I would agree with you for all the points you just said. Just knowing how athletics work, people use their advantages any way they can. And a lot of it is body, uh, your your physical advantages. Um, Like, there's a reason why every single swimmer looks the same. You know, there's a reason why a guy like me isn't on the Olympic team for swimming. Because people who are 5'6" typically aren't good at swimming or short and stocky. It doesn't work that way, and that's how sports work. And also, when you look at powerlifting, like look at our specific sport, there's so few people who really have that insane arch. I could think of mostly female lifters. Um, and then Noriega and a few others are like on the outliers of male lifters who are able to have this insane arch. And really, when you when you look at the grand scheme of impressive ventures – Noriega is a fantastic venture in 83 kg, but if you look at the record holders before him and you look at the record holders, you know, just all throughout the USAPL and IPF, you know, uh, Ryan Balark had the 83 kg bench record before him. He didn't have a crazy big arch. My, my favorite bencher is Jake Amendola. He doesn't have a big arch. Uh, Jonathan Keiko is another one. Doesn't have a big arch. So you're really just making a rule for Sean Noriega. Let's just call a spade a spade. You're trying to get... I mean, I know the USAPL has tried some things to get Sean Noriega removed from uh, from its federation. But you're really just making a Noriega rule. And the only thing, reason why I think is proposed, and Noriega and a lot of others agree with this, it just looks stupid. It looks stupid when you see a guy bench pressing like that, and then in every other sport, 
you could easily make the same arguments. You could say a boxer with a super long reach who constantly just picks guys apart with setting up his jab. You can easily say that guy's cheating. He has an unfair advantage over this other guy, and it's not entertaining because, you know, the Klitschko brothers are so much taller than everyone else that they're dominating. They don't say that because it looks appropriate for the sport. When you see a bunch of bench pressers, then you see Noriega, you're like, what the fuck is this? And then you start questioning it, and then, of course, he has a massive bench press. So you're automatically associating with stupid because it's just different from what you're seeing. And I, I honestly believe, I don't know the history behind this, I think with the rules that they had in place, because they have rules for all three lifts, squat depth, bench, deadlift, they have their, they have their specific rules. I don't think when they created powerlifting rules that they thought, people would manipulate their spines and their flexibility to a point like Sean Noriega where they had to make a specific rule because they just didn't assume at the time that it was ever going to happen. So it's like, why even think about it if I'd never seen it before? And now that we do see it, it's like, is it really that much of a competitive advantage? I don't even think that's the case. I don't think it's that much of a competitive advantage. Like, no. even if you try and people think you could practice that, you could practice the Noriega thing. Like, hard work and dedication will give you a Noriega arch. No, no, I really try to work on lessening my range of motion, and my arch is nowhere near Sean's. It's nowhere near certain people's. It's not even closer. I mean, and I'm sure like guys like Jake Amendola would love to improve that, but they can't do it. And they're damn good press, uh, pressers because of that. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at the amount of people that get a competitive advantage from high arch, it is a very low amount. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people who have that advantage, their other lists aren't great like that's why sean's the outlier because he gets because he's actually good at all three lifts so it makes it look like he's getting some great advantage on his bench mm -hmm. press because he's actually relevant versus a lot of people they're just kind of good bench pressers but even within that like you said if you look at all the bench best benchers in the world it's not like all of them have high arches it's a very small minority most mm -hmm. of them don't have high arches they're just super jacked and can press a lot of weight and so you don't it's not like there's a huge outlier Mm -hmm. It's not like I would argue and sense if we're looking at outliers of like genetic leverages, sumo deadlift, especially in untested where you have a deadlift bar and you can get a wider stance and hit mobility to a point where most people don't have it and key at play. There's a lot more outliers in the sense of sumo deadlift than there is in the sense of high arch. And mm -hmm. I, I mean, while there are some people who want to ban sumo deadlift, I don't think there's nearly the same amount, at least within the powerlifting circle, mm -hmm. like people who are true powerlifters. There's more true powerlifters that maybe kind of want to ban high arch, but they don't want to ban sumo when there's definitely a lot more people that get advantage from sumo than a high arch, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Then if you look at low bar and high bar, too, with squats. Yeah. Like, most people do low bar, and you could really see the disparity between people who do low bar and high yeah. bar, and it's really doing the same thing, in a sense. A lot of people use low bar to shorten the range of motion and we can all agree that high bar is probably the more difficult movement but you know no one's no one's calling for low bar to be removed no one no one's no serious power lifters called there are you know definitely outliers who say that you know sumo should be removed but what and i do have this bought up when bench arches are bought up you know i had when we look at the comments there's a it's a hilarious range when you look at it because People who follow Two White Lights, it's not a Gen Pop page. It's not a Gen Pop Pop podcast. It's a specific powerlifting podcast. So we have one person saying, this is the most stupid take I've ever heard in my life. 
And then Garrett Fear commenting, this is, I really wish I didn't see this post or something because it's just so blatantly ridiculous to him. But then there's other people like, yeah, I actually agree with it. I actually think there should be some sort of rules limiting the the amount of arcs you should have at a bench. And it is and it's not so ridiculous to a sense because IPF actually thought about trying to find ways to make sure an arch doesn't exist. It within that same rule, it was you can't put your feet up on the bench prior to pressing because they know that's how they settle themselves in for a higher arch. So it's not the most ridiculous thing in the world. And I think a lot of that is assisted with it just looks very foreign to people. I think so. One thing that was kind of interesting in the comments is there are some well-known people, Johnny Candido, um, Marcelo's kind of alluded to it. They were kind of talking about more the mainstream aspect, and they were saying in the sense of like to make powerlifting mainstream, yeah, um, you need to ban the arch. And I'm gonna, I very much value their opinion, and I get what they're saying, but I'm gonna disagree with them because powerlifting is never gonna be mainstream. Yes, it will never be mainstream. It, it's. It's boring to watch for anyone who doesn't power lift. Like it is not a fun, it's not strong man. It's not CrossFit. It's not a viewer sport. Like unless you're in the sport and I, I'm one of the people I'll be at two, I'll be up at 2 a.m. in the morning to make sure I can watch worlds in Belarus. Cause I'm a huge fan of it. But I also get that it's never going to be mainstream because what the social media is amazing for powerlifting because powerlifting is an IG sport. It yeah. is an Instagram sport. It is a single serving video sport. Watching a five-hour powerlifting meet of every single lift is boring, but seeing that one lift of Ray Williams squatting uh, 1080 is awesome. Mm -hmm. So in the sense of mainstream, it's never going to be a mainstream viewing sport, but in the sense of the outreach of it, Instagram obviously has influenced that. And what I'm actually going to argue, I'm going to argue in the sense of like creating publicity within Instagram, which is, which is where we're going to get our outreach. I'd argue high, high arch actually helps us mm -hmm. you look at king of the lifts it, it, good good publicity and bad publicity are both good for the sport yeah people are getting trolling like crazy sharing like crazy when sean gets posted and benches 500 with a crazy arch and people are coming and trolling but then guess what they're doing they're going and looking at the other 50 videos that mm -hmm. are not a high arch and being impressed by it yeah it's getting traffic to these pages so it's not a terrible thing like every sport has that every sport has bad publicity the NFL has people with domestic abuse issues and all this crazy stuff that happens with off-the-field issues. Even though it's bad publicity, it still brings more attention to the sport, creates more of a storyline, creates just more appeal in the sense of kind of viewership. So, yeah, I'm actually I'm going to throw the devil's advocate take there to the mainstream thing. And even though I'm going to argue it's never going to be mainstream, I'm going to argue in the sense of what powerlifting can be. It actually helps. Mm -hmm. As long as it stays as it is, which it is, as long as it stays as a minute number of lifters doing it. Now, if every lifter all of a sudden had a high arch and that's how every single power lifter benched, then yes, that would be an issue. Yeah. But that's also like, it would be an issue if every single basketball player was seven foot tall. Yeah. It would be boring to watch five on five with Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. The reason basketball or any sport is entertaining is because of these diverse people playing different positions with different skill sets, working together with their strengths to accomplish a similar task. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I did see, you know, Marcellus and Candido and a lot of people actually, me and Sean had conversations where he wouldn't be completely opposed to a certain type of rule change as long as there's a lot of logic involved. But to, in the sense where it's mainstream, it's is something mainstream because someone views it and understands it. Like, 
outsider looking in, looking at a bench press and being impressed by weight moving, but still like not completely interested in the sport. Like I'm not, there, there's people not, people are not being driven away from the sport because of an arching bench press. They're not. It's, there's a whole other list of reasons why. Um, mm-hmm. But that's, that's not the reason. And for me, I, I actually enjoy that, like what you, what you said, maybe in a different way. I like how unique it is for certain lifters. Like that's part of Noriega's identity is his arch. It's like, for me, it's like a batting stance. Like, like I know, I don't know how people are very, well. Very as well doing a frog stance deadlift. Yeah. Very, very, yeah, very true. Unique to that person. Like, um, like, like Jeff Bagwell batting in baseball. Like, why does he bat like that? Or Craig Council or something. Like, that is a real fucked up, jacked up way to play baseball. It's like, but it's... Pitchers. It, it, but, yeah, it, but it's unique. It becomes a part of the sport. And mm-hmm. I actually like that. I like when lifters kind of have that identity that is unique to them. You know, and I do think that'll actually help the mainstream success of the sport is when you can identify certain things. When you can identify something that's unique to that community. Like, I actually really do enjoy that. Um, a lot, I think a lot of the arguments were, were just so skewed towards like, well, this is why people don't take the sport seriously. Like, no, there's a whole lot of other reasons why the sport isn't taken seriously. It's not because of one guy's bench press or it's not because of the female bench press really within the powerlifting community. The bench press is kind of a lull of the competition anyway. Like there's a few guys where, I mean, there's a few guys where I personally love watching the bench. But I know the crowd. I know what's going on. They're waiting for deadlifts. Like, I think Jake Amendola's bench press is one of the most entertaining things in powerlifting. I'm not exaggerating. I love it. It's crazy weight. It's beautiful to watch. It's it's exciting to me because, you know, you have to control that weight onto your chest. But I know for a fact there's other people in the crowd who just don't care. Who re- And they're powerlifters. We're not talking about outsiders looking in. We're talking about powerlifters here. And when you're talking about that dude... As compared to Sean Noriega, like they're they're polar opposites in, in the sense that their bench technique is different. The weight that they're moving is insane for both of those guys, but they're opposite how they approach the bench press. Um, and it's like, I, I guess it's more appealing in a certain way, but that uniformity is is uh, is meh. It's like something that I think a lot of people think it's a good argument, but I kind of disregard it quickly. And you, I think you brought up a good point. I got a, I feel like I got a really good comparison here. You said that the people who really hate high arches and troll them were never going to power lift in the first place. Yeah. The perfect comparison, in my opinion, is kipping in CrossFit. Yeah. Did that hurt CrossFit's popularity? No. Now, Greg Glassman going on Twitter may have hurt <laughs> CrossFit's popularity, but CrossFit blew up. They, they screwed themselves and all the stuff that's kind of happened recently. Yeah. In spite of kipping. But who was making fun of kipping? Yeah, and, power lifters who are never going to CrossFit in the first place. Yeah, and in the fitness community, CrossFit is just based on what we see from the sport. We just we make fun of it in general, but at the same time, it's more popular than I would say all of the fitness related sports. Bodybuilding, strongman. I, I would say CrossFit and strongman are like up there as far yeah, as one well, and two goes. CrossFit's number one because it's, it's accessible. Strongman's yeah. probably the best. I should say the best viewership, but strongman isn't accessible to most yeah. people. CrossFit's it was so accessible that it, it reached a height that I don't think any fitness um, sport has ever reached. And if 
they have so many things that everyone trolled on. They're like, this is stupid. Like kipping pull-ups aren't real pull-ups. Um, kipping uh, pull-ups to a dip, like the, the way they do dips with all the stuff, like all of it was the same exact thing as what we're seeing with the arch is using whatever technique you could to bend the rules to find an advantage and people were going to hate on it, but it didn't, it didn't yeah. stop the sport from growing. If anything, again, I'm going back. Bad publicity is still publicity. Yeah. All the attention kipping pull-ups got just got more people think looking at CrossFit and the people who are interested in CrossFit looked at it even more and then got into it. So yeah, yeah I'm going to, I'm going to, this comes from a marketing background. Like, I mean, like let's go, I'm going to go semi-political Donald Trump won his first election because of a lot of the stupid things he said still got him publicity, even yeah. if it was bad publicity. Like it, again, it, it's marketing. There's there, as long as you're creating some kind of noise, it's going to create attention being brought and attention being brought is going to create growth. Yeah, for sure. I would say there is a fine line though, uh, with CrossFit's example, their publicity sucked and that actually got a lot of people, uh, away from CrossFit, which they completely shot themselves in the foot. And I say, I would say the same thing would probably happen to powerlifting. Like, we really got to limit the amount of scandals that go on powerlifting. But as long as we can keep the bad publicity of Sean Noriega's crazy arch and have him be the heat magnet, like I think Sean Noriega is going to put himself in this great publicity thing where we have, if it ever does get more popular, and I did allude to this when I hit him on the show, where he's the bad guy, where he's the villain, where he's the guy that uh, outsiders looking in or people in the sport are looking in, they're like, man, I really don't like that Sean Noriega guy. It's like, no, that helps. That plays. Every single sport needs the bad guy. Every need sport needs the villain that the fans kind of root against. I feel like we're picking on Noriega the show, but I think uh, I think he could handle it at this point of his career. And I don't think Sean's hurting from that. No, I, I'm, I've been his coach now. I'm not hurting from that. Like, yeah, it's helped me. Yeah, like, because so many people pay attention to him. They now pay attention to me because I'm coaching. I mean, it definitely hasn't hurt him. Yeah. And, and you know what's another funny uh, comparison? And we we brought it up before, but, like, uh, the contradiction kind of in this comparison is uh, it's like, well, you know, you wouldn't ban dunking in the NBA, right? You wouldn't ban that Taco kind of fall. stuff. What's up? Taco fall flat foot dunking. Yeah. That's the, the equivalent. <laughs> well, well, the interesting thing is they actually tried to do that in basketball at a point, and it fucking – sucked where they you know hanging on the rim was it like a technical foul so you might get ejected for hanging on the rim then they're like okay this rule is making the sport really not fun and it's really only promoting the you know no one really wants to see five white guys bounce past to each other so let's get more excitement in the sport let's allow dunking let's allow hanging on the rim and actually help the sport so they actually did try to ban dunking in professional basketball and collegiate basketball and it sucked so please think that in mind when you try to ban arching and powerlifting that the product might suck after that like it is a very real possibility yeah well i think that's probably a good segue into i mean one of the biggest arguments is okay if you're going to ban it what's the rule change? Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I think every single rule change I've, I've heard talked about, or that's possible. None of them are good. It's just going to make it worse. Yeah. So I'll kind of go through them. I mean, I think one of the biggest ones is like, well, there's a minimum distance. The bar must travel. Yeah. What's the single biggest, uh, subjective rule that is, uh, honed on and trolled about and is massive drama and powerlifting death. Yes. Do we need any more subjective rules? That is, how far does the bar travel? And we have to do an eye test. Is it two inches? And then it's subjective, some subjective thing. 
Do we need a subjective rule of humorous angle to the floor? Another subjective thing, which that is going then going to punish uh, people who have really short arms and heavyweights who literally can't even get a parallel humorous to the floor or get like depth in the sense of the humorous angle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, those just add more subjectivity that's going to create more drama in sense of like the very few people that even this rule would apply to and, and make the drama. And so I think one of the other ones, I'm trying to look at my notes, um, grip change. Yeah. Uh, for what? That one's ridiculous too because our, so here's my biggest issue then. This comes from a guy who has super long legs. The height of the bench is standardized to 17 to 17.5 inches. Mm-hmm. That height of the bench is very different to a five foot female versus a six foot five male. I have very long legs for being six foot. If you put me on a 19 inch bench, my bench goes up about 5%. So are we going to change every, if we're going to change grip, because that's one rule we got to change grip width because the limit, well, then we got to change bench has to be adjustable based off of height. Bar height on deadlift has to be adjustable based off, based off of height and arm length. Yeah. Like it, it literally, this all goes back to like our predisposed leverages are advantageous to, to us in some manner. You're a deadlift specialist for a reason, not a bench specialist for a reason. Yeah. Because you are leveraged and biomechanically built to be better at deadlift. So, yeah, the grip change just then opens Pandora's box of all these things that would then have to, like, possibly change, too, if we're going to change arch and grip. Because there's so many things that that applies to. Yeah, and I do... I do find it to be a nightmare scenario because I think the, the grip change one, I see the logic behind it. I see the arguments. I'm like, okay, that makes sense, you know, running it through my brain cells. But the 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 amount of distance the bar has to travel and looking like maybe making an, you know, an arm depth thing for bench, it's like, okay, guys, you are asking the judges that you have on a platform to do a whole lot of things. Like, you could, they got to already look at a lot of things in general on the bench press. Now you got to look at depth. If it, if there's an uneven lockout, you got to look at so many other things, and it just it, it's going to get way too contentious. It's going to get way, and then if you keep going with it, it's going to be like a controversy of the squat, which no one wants to see. That no one wants to see more more of that. And with, with your point with the grip changes, I think when you really start to debate it more and more, and the more you start talking about it the less it makes sense. It's one of those things where you put so much effort into thinking about this stuff, so much effort into trying to make these rule changes when the end result is going to be, all right, now we change, we change the game for like five people. Now we're good. Now, now it's like, we just, we just had to seclude these weird, like these outliers from the, the bunch. And now, you know, our sport can go on in this really, really fair fashion that really wasn't a competitive advantage in the first place. Like, that's why rule changes exist, is to get rid of a really unfair competitive advantage. I could see there's, there when they propose rule changes that don't relate to competitive advantages, I'm just, like, I'm like, why are you making this? Like, with the IPF rules, like, when they made these different rule changes with not taking off your shirt during deadlift, I was like, okay, this doesn't pertain to a competitive advantage. So why even are you guys really why why did you guys put thought power into this? Mm-hmm. And same thing with the bench press. <laughs> like why are you putting thought power into this when really it's not completely eliminating a competitive advantage? Yeah, I, I think so. I'm not. I don't. This 
I would not say by any means untested is the one spurring on Van Arches. That's definitely not the case. Yeah. Because I don't that, that I don't think they're really that's not really where it's coming from. But let's just let let's just say it was. The deadlift bar is literally a competitive advantage. Yeah. That is way more of a competitive advantage across the spectrum in the sense of powerlifting. Yeah. And a high arch. Like that is benefiting an entire side of powerlifting. Yep. So like you're talking about something that's a competitive advantage that would actually make a major difference in the sport. It would be banning a deadlift bar in untested powerlifting. Yeah. Or, I mean, the, the one that I've ranted on a lot in the show is 24 hour weigh-ins. Yeah. Oh, that too. Yeah. Com- that. Complete. Yeah. People are different lifters when they have to switch from USPA to USAPL if they are tested or untested. If you have a same day with weigh-in, you are a different, different lifter. Like I've seen it before. Like if you, if you see even lifters who have to go through a massive weight cut and see their training videos, you know, and they know that their training lifts are not going to translate on the platform. So they have to be cognizant of that. So imagine if you got rid of that for just, I mean, you made it uniform across federations. There's going to be a lot of lifters who aren't as impressive anymore. Yeah. I don't know if you saw, this could be even an episode. I don't know if you don't Greg Nora's, uh, Oh yeah. Post today. Oh, why don't all those people do a two-hour weigh-in and let's see if they're as fun to watch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's like I said, uh, I, it's not, I don't really feel like the hate comes from untested, but I just think that's a good example. And if someone is for twenty-four hour weigh-ins but against high arches, I think they really need to like think a little deeper about that that the critical viewpoint going back and forth of which one's truly a competitive advantage in the large scale. Yeah, and I think I think the reason why they are in favor of the deadlift bar of the twenty four hour weigh-ins because it's uniform for everyone, right? Everyone is on the on the standards, and the bench press is the bench press with a high arch is unique to that one person. But then, if you look at if you, when you start looking at that, we can go with that past example of low bar and sumo. Like, okay, yeah. like that's not uniform, right? Like certain guys, like. Uh, like uh, Wilson is able to get super wide on his squat. Like people can't do that. Are we now? Are we going to have a width, a squat width debate on like Noriega's squat too? Like, all right, well your your legs have to be shoulders width apart if you're going to squat because if you do the alternative, you're lessening the range of motion. But I know for a fact if I try to widen my you know legs any more on my squat or to a type of Sean Noriega, I'm going to fuck my shit up. Like, there's no, I'm not a good squatter if I do that because my body, but right. You can make the same argument in that sense. I, so that's why I think that people have, you know, more, they're more in favor of the 24 hour weigh-ins and the deadlift bar because everyone has to follow them. When you start talking about certain lifters and they're able to manipulate their body, then that's where I think there's a level of competitive advantage. Yep. And I'll actually, I'm going to pull up my phone. I took a screenshot of one uh, comment that I think. We've kind of already semi-talked about this, but talking about Sean. Oh, uh, yeah. And by the way, speaking... Tommy Schneider, 22, said no, it should not be banned. But everyone also needs to quit thinking that benching max max width for grip and with an arch will immediately make them stronger and more competitive. Yeah. You can talk to Sean. One, it took him years. I think it's been about three or four years now for him to actually perfect this setup. There's a lot more than people... That people know about it's not just him arching there's it deals with his hand grip it deals with a lot of different things that allow him to do it 
and it took a long time for him to get good at it. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, Sean R all of a sudden learned how to do a high arch and then he benched 500 pounds. He, I don't think he benched that much more at first arching high. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's, it has probably raised his ceiling of what he could do, but it's taken three, four years to find that potential ceiling. Like you're not just going to arch and all of a sudden be Sean Noriega. Yeah, and it's, it's volatile for him too correct it's not necessarily this consistent thing like yep yeah, i'm just hitting 500 whenever you know it's like a lot of things have to go right and you still have to really take into account the technological changes you have to make and that's when something's really technique driven it's harder to execute that lift because i can tell you from you know my perspective and i've said a lot on the show like the more cues i have to remember on my technique the worse my lift is going to be because like for for deadlift it's very simple for me like it just moves well. It, it like I don't have to remember as much cues because I do the right things more times than not. If I have to remember more and more things in my deadlift, it won't be as good as a lift because I have to be more technically efficient with it. Like mm-hmm. with Sean's bench, it's the same thing. I'll make it think. I'll, I think Sean will probably say this. If he could get anywhere near he where he was without doing what he does, he would because he has to bench five or six times a week. That's yeah. not very feasible for most people and it's, i mean he makes it feasible but that's hard like if he could get stronger benching twice a week that would be awesome but he can't he has to bench five or six times a week two talking about technical feet slip is a huge issue he's had a lot of meets where his feet slip and all of a sudden he can't i mean michael c had the same thing at worlds last year uh, or two years ago his feet were slipping um uh there's a lot more that can go wrong with sean's bench in a competition than jake amandola's bench Jake Amendola's bench is make sure we peak right. Um, we'll see how good of a pause or like the pause length in the ref, and we're going to press it. Sean's, it, there's other factors that sometimes he can't control that can all of a sudden tank his bench on the day. As well as, like you said, it's not easy to peak his bench. When you're benching five or six times a week, to get that one day on a meet day to be the strongest is not easy. So, like, again, this goes back to, like, if you think you're just going to bench with a high arch and all of a sudden be world champion – probably not going to happen it's a lot more complicated than people think yeah or or vice versa they think a flat bench is more impressive yeah like that's that to me is very funny i guarantee sean has put way more work into getting his bench to what it is than 99 percent of the people who are flat back benching saying that's more impressive yeah and i'm gonna say 100 now the people saying that the mm-hmm. people who are actually saying that because the people who are oppressive flat back benchers aren't saying that the people who are saying that saying high arch isn't impressive. You should flat back bench. 100% of them haven't even come close to working as hard as Sean has. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And really the weight that they're moving isn't impressive at all. Like any way you look at it, flat, <laughs> flat bench or arch. So, um, yeah. And it is when, like speaking of comments, you had to bring up the, the, one of the comments, I alluded to earlier where two white lights is very specific to powerlifting, but this still generated a hundred forty four comment debate. You know, it's like it is. You no, know, we do discuss these things, and we could kind of talk about how ridiculous it is, but it's still just one of the that lifters won't drop, and it's it's um, and like what you said with the publicity of sport, I think it's the, it just shows how. You know how we kind of need this. We kind of need sports debates yeah. in powerlifting, and I think did this, help your, did this help your Instagram page? Absolutely. That's all I care about. 
That's all. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the end of the day, it's just really everything is set for yeah. me to grow <laughs> two white lights. We wouldn't have that if everything was uniform and perfect and there was no drama or no disagreement. Yeah. That's not fun. That That's not sports. Sports thrives off of controversy and drama and issue. That's that's why Sports Center and ESPN exists. It wouldn't mm-hmm. those shows outside of the actual games wouldn't exist if everything was all nice and dandy. Yep, absolutely. And like I said before, Two White Lights is a pro negativity podcast. So yeah. uh, the, the most most of our publicity is based on negative uh, n- negative claims and negative arguments. So yeah. um, here they don't. Garrett Fear doesn't get all the podcast views because he's uh, super politically correct and says everything super nice and praises everyone. That's a good point. Yeah, I think yeah, you need more personalities like that in sport. And I think where and I do think it, it exists for a good reason. Um, and you know, and even on the Two White Lights page, there was not a real immature argument going on. You know, it was all it was all pretty logical, and there was debates going on, of course, but it wasn't like a massive pissing contest that could happen on King of the List or another page or like Parlancy Motivation, um, which you know it I'm not a good comment section. It was it was very legitimate in the sense of good discussion. Yeah, so like I mean, and that's that's the good thing for the sport, like better like uh, logical debates going on between lifters, and yeah, that all that's going to help the sport. So I'm hoping that it, like, sticks to it where people don't change the way they bench in order to appease a certain crowd. It's like, bench the way you want, and let's keep this little unique identity thing that powerlifting has going. And let's keep it going for the longest time possible. Yeah. Don't don't, don't please the crowd. Agreed. All right, speaking of pleasing crowds, uh, this weekend I was at Indy City Barbell, and I got to watch a powerlifting meet, which is not that common thing to say anymore. I got to spectate and watch a powerlifting meet, and I wanted to spotlight this on Two Way Lights just a bit because, one, I have to thank Albert Alvarado for letting me do the live stream commentary. That was awesome. That's like something I really look forward to doing. And I have to also give credit to Garrett Fear for being the guy who you alluded to talk shit on the internet, wants there to be a change in the sport, is a high-profile lifter, then he, at a young age, goes and does the meat directing thing and absolutely kill it and doing the change that he wants to be done in the sport. So, he backs it up. He's not all talk. He backs it up. Yeah, for sure. And I think we need more of that in, in powerlifting. And I think you know next week we're going to dive a little deeper into this. There's a strive to make powerlifting more legitimate. And I think people like to say that but do nothing about that. And there's a chance for people to do it. I know you have done it with Midwest Primetime. You talked about beefing up those regional meets. The changes that you want to see happen in the USAPL, you said that there's changes that need to be made, and you went out and did that. And I think I actually encourage more lifters to do this. I encourage more lifters to actually seek out being a meet director or part of their organization or federation more because attending that meet was awesome. Because... It was a it was a really great powerlifting meet because of the sense that he got all these sponsors. He used his liking to his advantage. Garrett Fear marketed himself. He knew people would come to the meet because he was running it and because he has access to high-profile lifters. So he's able to get Jamal Browner out there. He was able to use his sponsorships like Hybrid and Ghost and Notorious to sponsor the meet where there was money involved where you can actually pay out the lifters. 
and he was able to run a meet that he wanted to see be run and add the, you know, the, the live stream to the squat to death live stream to make it more viewer friendly as well. And I just, I encourage more lifters to get involved with that. And it was a really great thing that I saw on the weekend and like not a whole lot of great powerlifting meets are going on um, currently. So I, I think we're going to dive a little deeper, but yeah, it was something that I just wanted to cover at the, the ending, the closing portions of the show. Yeah. I'll leave one thing with that. Cause I'd mentioned this to you and it's a good, you know, my little hot take here of leaving kind of some suspense. If we want that to happen, it requires money. Mm-hmm. And guess, and everyone's always like, well, why isn't people, the money comes from the lifters, whether you're giving that money directly to that meat director, or you're giving that money to that company who sponsors. The only way these things happen is if the lifters are supporting it and willing to pay. Mm-hmm. So I'll talk more about that kind of opinion, but like, understand, like if you want these things to happen, it takes money and that money has to come from the lifters. Just like in sports, the money comes from the fans. They pay for the games and there's a premium as the team gets better. You pay more. You don't, you don't pay. I mean, I remember the Blackhawks. Um, I'm getting a little bit too far into it, but the Blackhawks used to be like 10 bucks for a ticket. And I don't think it costs 10 bucks anymore after they, uh, they won a Stanley cup. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we might be getting back to that 10 bucks a ticket thing based on how the organization <laughs> is moving, but yeah, absolutely. And yeah, like we will discuss that more. And that's something that you and I both like talking about is to make the sport more legitimate and to bring more money involved in the sport. And also another takeaway from that meet this is a important little piece of information and advice to lifters listening to the show right now. So at that meet, there was cash prizes given out, and Jamal Browner was competing in the male side. Now, if you're going to a meet and Jamal Browner's competing, nine times out of ten, you're not winning it. You know? Like you're not you're not winning best overall uh, male, and that's where the prize are going off, the best overall male lifters. Well, guess what happened? He, it, it, this was a tune-up meet for him. He's got the hybrid coming up in six weeks. He hit his deadlift, his 900-pound deadlift. Callus ripped. Uh, I think it was, I, I could be getting it wrong, but I believe it was a blood blister popped, and he couldn't grip the bar on 900 pounds. Didn't take his next two attempts. So guess what happened? The next lifter up won. And that could happen at any powerlifting meet that you are at where you want to be competitive in. And I think a lot of people don't want to compete at those meets because they're like, well, Jamal Browner's going to kick my ass. I'm not going to win any money, so I even show up. Well, something like that could happen. Where a lifter, because of either, and this is a, I wouldn't even call it an injury, if you will. It's just something to say safe because he has a meet coming up. A lifter wasn't able to perform on that day for whatever reason, and the next man up won. And this could happen at Raw Nationals. This could happen at the Arnold. This could happen at the Showdown. This could happen at the Pioneer Open, the Kern. Every single one of those meets, you have a chance of winning. It's not always going to be the case where this high-level lifter is going to destroy everyone, and that's it. It happens. That's why they're high-level. But there's always a chance of winning, and that's why I tell a lot of lifters, sign up for meets, be competitive, and don't be afraid of the competition at meets. Yeah. John Hacks almost bombed out like two out of his last three meets. He has been on the edge of bombing out, so you never know. I mean, imagine how more, much more interesting uh, Raw Nationals would have been if Russ bombed. Yeah. I mean, it, you got you got Noriega, but then you have Noriega who doesn't perform how he likes at 2019 Raw Nationals. Then you have a guy like Jamar or Marcus 
Like, okay, now I have a chance of winning. Now I have a chance of taking that. If Delaney puts in his performance at the Arnold, translate that to Raw Nationals, Delaney's a number two guy, not Sean. So just a little piece of advice to lifters out there, compete. Be competitive because stuff like that happens in powerlifting. For sure. All right, man. That's going to do it for Two White Lights. Anything like that before we go? No. I'm good. Happy to be on this this first official co-hosted show. Yeah, and I, I I like the shirt you're wearing too, man. Oh yeah, I thought that was I thought that was uh, fitting. Go Leffler Bros for the first show. Yeah, Leffler Bros. I mean, be, feel free to wear it every single show and use that promo code two W L fifteen to get fifteen percent of all Leffler products. You got we got to hook you up with the two white light shirt too. Those are available too. I know I, I coming and I got a banner coming. Ooh, all right, all right, nice. And yeah, thank you for hanging that banner. All right, well, that's going to do it for Two Way Lights. we see you guys next week. We also have Isaac Whistler coming on Monday. So I have not interviewed that show with him, but I know knowing Isaac, it's going to be an amazing one. All right, peace, guys.